our next speaker is Simon Hook from, from JPL, who's the principal investigator of the, of the EcoStress mission. And he's going to give a similar overview uh, of what EcoStress will do in a similar time period. And um, so I won't take any more time, so we have time for questions. Thanks, Dave. You don't have to talk as fast as Ralph did. I, I was just going to say, you know, Ralph was sort of starting to sound like uh, uh, y y when you go to the horse races and it's lucky lad, it's lucky lad, and we're moving to the first. It's Jedi, it's Jedi. But anyway, <laughs> probably worked very well, obviously. So there we go. So anyway, so what you've heard so far is uh, something about the uh, structure part of uh, structure, function, and composition, which is really uh, what carbon cycle and ecosystems is all about. And so what I'm going to do now is talk a little bit about the function part of it, which should complement uh, what uh, Josh uh, talked about uh, this morning. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't here this morning because uh, what's called KDPC, which means key decision point C, which means when we start building everything, was moved up uh, to October 23rd. And so my calendar just exploded last week and is now riddled with meetings uh, throughout. Um, but the good news is uh, we're moving very, very quickly. And so um, hopefully we'll be able to deliver in early 2017 and uh, be, uh, be up there in late 2017, uh, shortly before JEDI gets up there. So uh, what I'm going to do today is talk to you a little bit in a little bit more detail about EcoStress, which stands for the Ecosystem Spaceborne Thermal Radiometer Experiment on the uh, Space Station. Uh, this is just uh, um, an overview of what I'm going to talk, talk or table of contents, if you like. First of all, I'm going to give you a brief overview, uh, and then I'm going to get into some of the detail. I'm going to talk about how um, EcoStress came about, and then I'm going to talk about the uh, science questions that we want to address uh, with this particular mission. Uh, you'll hear me sort of repeat these uh, in different uh, flavors, if you like, during the course of the presentation. But the three main science questions are, how is the terrestrial biosphere responding to changes in water availability? How do changes in diurnal vegetation water stress impact the global carbon cycle? And can ag agricultural vulnerability be reduced through advanced monitoring of agricultural water consumptive use and improved drought estimation accuracy? And that last question you'll see is more applications related than it is um, on, the, on, on the research side. Um, now, uh, after that, I'll talk a little bit about the instrument and spacecraft, kind of the same way that uh, Ralph did. And then I'll say a little bit of the algorithms, the calibration and validation, and the take-home messages. And if we have time, I have a movie of what it will look like installing the instrument in, on the space station. So um, this next slide really is the sort of one-slide summary of the mission. Um, it says, uh, you know, if you read the first uh, uh, point, it says that EcoStress will provide critical insights into plant water dynamics and ecosystem change uh, with climate via high spatiotemporal resolution thermal infrared radiometer measurements of evapotranspiration from the International Space Station. So basically what does that mean? It means we're going to measure the temperature of plants. And what we're going to do is we're going to, um, uh, by measuring the temperature of the plants, be able to get at the evapotranspiration. You probably heard a little bit about evapotranspiration this morning, but basically what happens is um, the pores on the bottom of uh, uh, leaves um, uh, open up. These pores are called stomata. CO2 comes in, is used with photosynthesis to make sugars. The plant grows, and as part of that process, water is expelled out through those same pores. If um, 
there isn't sufficient if there's insufficient water those pores close and the uh, plant in effect starves itself now we can measure those changes in temperature um, with this uh, radiometer on the international space station now the other thing to know about um, um, evapotranspiration is that it changes throughout the course of the day so um, in the past we've always been looking at a certain time of day uh, most of the uh, space instruments fly over around 10 30 11 o'clock and that's really the time when plants aren't stressed and so uh, one of the advantages with the uh, ISS is that it flies over at different times of day and we can take advantage of that to look at um, how um, uh, evapotranspiration is changing throughout the day and most importantly we can look at this time in the early afternoon when uh, plants are often most stressed um, and then we can use that information uh, to build up things like this evaporative uh, stress index map here on the right hand side now when um, uh, with plants just if you like with humans is that um, if you're exercising and you've got plenty of water you can keep going but if you take that water away then your temperature starts to build up and eventually you, colla you collapse. It's very similar in a, in a way with uh, plants. The plant, te plant temperatures start to go up before they collapse. And so what you have is a leading indicator that something is going to happen. Now, in, in some cases, in natural landscapes, you can't do much about it. But in um, uh, other landscapes, particularly managed landscapes, then it is possible to do uh, something about it. So this information is being passed on uh, to the farmers. Um, so. Uh, these are the uh, three main objectives is to identify these critical thresholds of water use and water stress in key climate sensitive biomes I'll say a little bit more about where those are detect the timing location and the predictive factors leading to plant water uptake decline uh, or cessation over the diurnal cycle basically use the fact that the ISS is going over at different times and then uh, lastly measure the agricultural uh, water consumptive use uh, over uh, CONUS at uh, um, spatial resolutions applicable for drought estimation accuracy. Uh, so this is just a, a, a quick overview of, the inst of uh, some characteristics of the instrument uh, and the measurements. We are also on the GEMIF module, that's this area here. It's in the RAM direction of the space of the ISS, is the, the direction that's uh, going forward. Uh, we're a $30 million cost cap mission it's a, it's a one-year uh, project or 12-month and we have been told that we'll be extended assuming everything's working. We're on this uh, GEMIF that uh, Ralph also mentioned that he's on as well um, and it's 31 months from project start to delivery. So this is not like some most other missions you've heard about SMAP, Landsat, things like that, MODIS that I, mean, I for example I started work on um, ASTA in uh, let's see now uh, 1997 and uh, no no sorry uh, 1989 and it launched in 1999 so typically you're looking at 10 to 15 years before you get I a, an instrument into space this is a different way of doing business we're going to try and get the instruments up there in three years which is great news for all the young younger people in the audience because that means that we can start to get more measurements up there much more quickly and it also opens the door for you to come up with your own instrument ideas and have a chance of being able to get them up in your lifetime and well say Ralph and I who have to wait a long time so um, now uh, this is the instrument it was built as a prototype and basically we're going to put that prototype in space um, this is some of the characteristics of the date of the instrument. It provides very high spatial resolution on a fairly frequent basis, and I'll say more about that in a minute. So 
Uh, this is the area that we cover. You know, uh, you were asking about uh, the coverage from the ISS, plus or minus 50 degrees. Um, but because this is a wide swath instrument, it means that we look over the same place fairly frequently, and we get a very large number of uh, revisits. Um, so what this indicates here is um, this is 400 revisits for this area here. Now, if, if you remember, if you think about this just in terms of, um, uh, say, Landsat, Landsat flies over every couple of weeks or twice a month, so you're looking at 24 times a year as opposed to 400 times a year for the same spot, big difference. And that allows us to do some, answer some uh, unique science questions. This is just the timeline and then uh, a little bit more detail about the instrument, which I'll not go into. So uh, as I mentioned before, we have a, a whisk room uh, instrument, which basically means you have a scan mirror which whisks across the surface, which gives you a large field of view as you're moving forward. Um, and we're going to use those data to produce these science products, um, the uh, brightness temperature at the center, the surface temperature and emissivity, the evapotranspiration, as I talked about before, water use efficiency, and the evaporative stress index. The uh, water use efficiency is, is basically how much water used for uh, the amount of um, uh, uh, carbon grown. And so um, uh, this is something that we get by getting data from other instruments. This is the team that was on the uh, Earth Ventures proposal. And this is kind of what the uh, instrument looks like. This is what it looks like now when it's inside the same box um, that uh, Ralph showed. All of these instruments are in these same kinds of boxes. Uh, this is the uh, life cycle. Um, you know, we put the instrument in the box, we launch it in the Dragon trunk on the Falcon 9. Um, it gets robotically installed. The data come down um, uh, into the US. All the products will be stored at the LPDAC. And then uh, we derive, this, we do the science. And then last uh, but, but uh, not least, uh, they basically take the payload off and they dump it into the atmosphere and burn it up. So same thing will happen to Jedi that happens to us. And uh, we, of course, would like that to be uh, as late as possible for obvious reasons. Um, so uh, this is just going to give you a little bit of background about how we ended up here. Uh, there was something called the uh, Decadal Survey. Now, some of you may have not have never heard of the Decadal Survey. But basically, the Decadal Survey is something that comes out every so many years. And um, it's, it's, it's where the community has asked what they would like to see. And uh, this was one of the recommendations that came out uh, uh, from the Decadal Survey in the form of this uh, Hisperi instrument. Now, the Hisperi instrument is the visible shortwave infrared imaging spectrometer and the thermal. So we've just done the, uh, the thermal part now. We hope to have the imaging spectrometer up there, as was mentioned um, earlier. Uh, but that hasn't happened yet, but that's what we'd like to do. Uh, so this tells you a little bit about the Hisperi mission. Uh, so it had the imaging spectrometer as well as the thermal infrared. And we were going to study all of these uh, different areas and answer these questions here. I'm not going to go into detail on this because you can find out all that information very easily on the web now. Um, this is just the thermal instrument. And so what happened was, as part of the, the decadal survey, um, the, uh, we were able to do some development work. And we were able to build a prototype instrument. So it's very important to have these things like the decadal survey, which allow us to do, pro do early prototyping work. Because when this opportunity came along to put this on the ISS, we already had this prototype, and we could use that in order to, in order to do this. Um, and so that, of course, has worked out very well. Now, it's not exactly the same. We have five spectral bands instead of the um, uh, seven bands that are shown here. 
Uh, the spatial resolution is in fact a little bit higher. Uh, it's 40 by 80 meters and uh, the revisit is uh, four days. Uh, now when I say the revisit is four days, as Ralph mentioned, the uh, orbits vary. It's not a sun-synchronous orbit, uh, but basically on average you'll get a complete coverage of CONUS every uh, four days. So this is the uh, prototype instrument, picture of the prototype instrument that we built and um, uh, for uh, uh, HISPRI and then the call came out for the Earth Ventures and we said um, we would like to propose to put this up there. It sounds like it was, uh, y y you know, we'd figured it out all in advance but really it wasn't like that. Um, uh, you know, the opportunity came up and we took it. Uh, the reason I also emphasize the decadal survey just then is there's another decadal survey about to start. So if anyone here in the audience hears anything about the decadal survey, sign up, get involved, because um, we need uh, people to make sure that they advocate for um, uh, future missions. Otherwise, um, you know, the mission, there may not be any carbon cycle and ecosystems missions. We want to make sure that we get those missions in there. Um, we also looked at free-flying instruments. Uh, I'm going to skip this one. So what I want to do now is tell you a little bit more about EcoStress itself. So it's uh, looking at water use and availability. It was selected as part of EVI-2. It's a Class D mission. Um, uh, JEDI was Class C. Um, it uses this instrument we developed before. We're going to deliver in 2017. And the nominal mission lifetime is one year, but the plan is to extend it uh, for longer than that, assuming that the instrument works. Uh, now, let's talk about some of the science. Um, how is the terrestrial biosphere responding to changes in water availability? So um, what do we mean by this? So if you look at the uh, land uptake into, uh, for, for carbon, what you see is, if you look at the models, they all sort of agree now very nicely. And then in the future, they all uh, uh, part. Um, now, what's going on there? Well, what's going on there is that some of these models take into account CO2 fertilization, increasing CO2 in the atmosphere, more carbon, everything grows nicely. That's fine, so long as you've got water. If you haven't got water, then it goes in the other direction. So these models don't do a good job of characterizing how much water is in fact being used uh, by plants globally in these different uh, biomes. And so one of the things that we will do with EcoStress is we'll get a snapshot of what that water use is for these different regions and these different regions are the regions that are under the crosshairs. Now one of the things that um, is worth noting is that we will actually be on the entire time. The only thing that is limiting how much data we can get down is the fact that the ISS is telling us, no, you can only trickle down this amount of data. So we're going to be throwing the rest of it away. Now, it's possible that the ISS will give us more downlink. If they give us more downlink, we'll get more data down. So uh, what I want to do now is talk about that second question about looking at evapotranspiration over the uh, diurnal cycle. So in this slide, what we've actually done is we've got some data uh, from um, a, a site and we've determined what the uh, ET was um, over uh, time from that site. I think it's a two-week, 14-day uh, uh, period. Um, and so we know what the, uh, 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 how much, um, what the ET was. And then we've superimposed on it what um, eco-stress will measure on these uh, blue dots. Here. Now remember, as I said, that EcoStress doesn't make those measurements um, all at the uh, same time. It, um, 
should say, all on the same day. So it doesn't measure at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, all on the same day. What it does, it measures it that on different <coughs> days. So you have to build up this sort of composite diurnal cycle from the information, and that's what's done here. And also what's shown here is the error bar associated with that composite diurnal cycle as opposed to uh, if we were uh, measured all uh, at the on the same day. Um, but because, as I showed you, on those high latitudes, we have those very large number of overpasses, the 400 or so overpasses. What it's a bit like is that you fly over at 10 o'clock, and this is the number of times a year you fly over at 10 o'clock, say 30, but then you also fly over uh, 30 times at noon, and you also fly over 30 times at 1 o'clock. And so you build that record up, and that's what we're proposing to do. And then um, uh, lastly, what I wanted to do was point, point out that this last question, the um, uh, talking about uh, looking at uh, water consumptive use, one of the problems that many instruments have is that they uh, either produce the data very frequently, but not with sufficient spatial resolution to be able to resolve down to the field, the field scale, or they produce the data at very high spatial resolution so you can get right down into the fields, but the measurements are so infrequent that you can't do that much with them. So for example, with Landsat, we can see down to the field scale, but we only get the data every two weeks. So let's assuming that, assume that, uh, 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 that only one in every three overpasses is clear, which is typical. So that means you're gonna get one image every six weeks. It's pretty difficult to derive evapotranspiration from one image every six weeks. Now you can fill in the details with other sensors and so on, and that's what people have done. But with um, EcoStress, we'll be getting the data every four days, roughly. So if we get a situation, then it'll be one at once every 12 days. And you can kind of see that when you look over the um, uh, full uh, uh, growing season here, how this is the, um, the actual ET in black. Uh, this is what you would capture with EcoStress. And this is what you would have captured with uh, Landsat, assuming that you don't try and fill the information in between those dates. So what I'm going to do now is talk a little bit about the instrument itself. Um, it's in the lab up at JPL. If you guys ever come up to JPL uh, or if we have a meeting up there, you're more than welcome to put on one of the bunny suits and I'll take you down and give you all a, a tour of the instrument before it, uh, it, it, you know, it goes uh, 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 to be launched. Um, it's, it's always great to see it. Uh, and then basically this is how it works. It sweeps across the, across the scene. It's continuously rotating scan mirror and um, it builds up an image as you move in the direction of flight. Uh, this is just some of the technology about it. I'm not going to go into that, but I'd be happy to talk to anyone about the technology as well if they're interested. And this just shows you uh, some of the performance. It's a very accurate instrument. We'll be able to measure the um, surface temperature to within a couple of tenths of a degree, something like that, between one and two tenths. Um, and so this is uh, uh, what the payload looks like. And this is kind of our view when we're on the ISS, because when you're on the ISS, objects are always moving in front of you when vehicles come and dock and those sorts of things. And so you want a situation where you can um, always see the land surface and it's not blocked. Certain things, for example, um, uh, you, you know, I'm sure, uh, well, I don't think Ralph mentioned it, but with astronauts involved, not in our instruments, but just being on the station, we have to uh, worry about things like an astronaut coming by and using it for getting in the way of it or getting tangled up with it or something like that. 
which amazingly uh, is amazingly complicated. In fact, uh, I, to, I, I had to say, say, you know, exactly how big this opening was because they were worried that an astronaut might put his foot in it. The fact he'd never be anywhere, <laughs> anywhere near it is, is, is really one of those things. But um, uh, this, this area is about a meter. So, uh, so uh, anyway, uh, these are the products that we're going to produce. They're just listed here, as I mentioned before. The, uh, the brightness temperature at sensor, the uh, surface temperature, ET, and then the water use efficiency and the evaporative stress index. Uh, so this just shows you a little bit about how we're going to measure this in the thermal. This just shows you oops, where the uh, spectral bands are, just here for eco stress, as opposed to uh, history. Um, and the retrieval algorithms, which we've all worked on before for other instruments. Uh, and then the accuracy of those retrieval algorithms, which I was mentioning before. Um, you can see that the, um, the, the, you know, with these sorts of simulations, um, we can look at different retrieval accuracies and, and they vary depending on what it is that we're actually looking at. But we, you can see that we're in this, um, uh, the right sort of range. Uh, the accuracy is about uh, uh, one to two degrees. The precision is a couple of tenths of a degree. Uh, now, we're also getting ET, just some of the, uh, the energy balance formulas for getting ET. I'm not going to go into that in detail. But there are three algorithms that we're actually looking at um, as part of the activity. We're looking at the Alexi algorithm, which is uh, used by the USDA, the metric algorithm um, used by the University of uh, Idaho, and, of course, PTJPL from JPL which is being uh, uh, developed and used by uh, Josh Fisher. So this just shows you one of these evaporative stress index. This is from the using the Alexi algorithm. Now, of course, this is, the, this is a three-month composite. With um, the eco-stress data, we will be able to drill down into the individual fields. Now, actually, not only in the in the, within the field, we'll be able to see variations. So variations of stress within an actual field. Uh, this just shows you uh, another example where the metric algorithm is being used for um, Imperial Valley. And uh, this is the PTJPL algorithm. Now, as I mentioned, we are uh, developing uh, calibration and validation sites. Um, this is the Tonsai Ranch up near UC Davis. We've just put in two 10-meter towers at the Russell Ranch site, and those are just starting to operate this week. We also have validation sites to use to calibrate the instrument, uh, like the Lake Tahoe site, which is shown here. Uh, and this is just some example data from uh, an airborne instrument, where you can see that the different, uh, uh, this is just a temperature map, and you can see the fields are at different temperatures, and that's a reflection of how much water uh, they've actually got. And what's uh, being done in this particular experiment is different fields have been given different amounts of water, so you can see how much stress there is, um, and you can actually, um, you know, measure that measure that water use, and then try and derive it from these data. So, just the take-home messages, just to finish off, then um, eco-stress measures whether plants have enough water to determine will these key ecosystems thrive, survive, or transition, um, to determine how plant water stress varies over the day and to see if we can improve drought estimation accuracy by using this, if you like, um, uh, uh, the, the fact that plants, when they get stressed, they don't collapse immediately to use that 
um, to, to, you know, to plan uh, agricultural water consumption use, as well as make sure that we're just not wasting water. Uh, and then it capitalizes on all of this uh, pre-formulation work that I mentioned. Um, and uh, obviously, the, uh, you know, one of the things that we're talking about today is seeing if we can figure out how best to combine the data from these different instruments, how best to combine the data from JEDI with the data from yeah, um, EcoStress, because they will be there um, at the same time as well as OCO3. And I'm going to leave there, and I think I've got time for a few questions. So thank you.